Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. I am beginning a brand new series today and uh, I have called this series Being, just Being. And I want us uh, as a background to this to dig into the Apostle Paul's letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, the book we call Romans. My intent for this series is that you and I would be empowered to be what God has called us and destined us and set us apart to be, and that is to be His church. We are His church. We need to understand that the New Testament church is very, very different to the Old Covenant tabernacle or temple. So back in the Old Testament, if you wanted to encounter God, if you wanted to experience the presence of God... Uh, you would go to the temple, you would go to the tabernacle and the presence of God. It was felt and known that this is where God is. Now, we don't come today to this church to experience the presence of God. That's not why we gather. The presence of God is here, but the reason the presence of God is here is because born-again believers, men and women of God who have submitted their heart to Jesus, gather here and we have within us, we carry within us the Spirit of God, the presence of God. The reason God is here is because His people are here. Can I hear an amen this morning? It always bothers me when I hear people say things like, I'm going to go to that meeting or to that rally or to that church or to that event to experience the presence of God. We've got to know that is never, ever, ever a new covenant picture of the church. The new covenant picture of the church is not a building. It's not a location. It's not geography. The new covenant picture of a church, not a building, it's a body. And you and I are a part of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of that body and you and I are the members of that body. It is about us being the church. So I want to use this letter of Paul uh, to the Romans as a background for where we're going to head in the next little while. Uh, and I trust that this will help us to understand how you and I can be the church that God has created us to be. Not only that, but it's important that as we desire to be the church that God wants us to be, that we understand what we are called to do as the church. What is the message that we are called to represent? We need to understand more fully what that gospel message is, that good news. So here we go, Romans 1 and 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son, who as to His divine, as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
down to verse 16. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's interesting to note that when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he'd actually never visited Rome. And that makes this letter totally different from everything else he wrote because all of his other letters are written to people uh, that he knew uh, and many of them to churches that he'd actually planted and established himself. So when he's writing all the other letters... He is writing very pastorally and he is uh, clearing up any questions they might have. He's bringing correction where that's needed. Uh, he's bringing encouragement to them because these are his friends. Uh, he even is bringing a rebuke where a rebuke is needed. <clears throat> he didn't have any of those reasons when he wrote this letter to the church in Rome. And so basically when he's writing this letter to the Romans... His message is this, guys, when I come, and his expectation was that he would be with them, when I get there, this is the summary of the message that I will be bringing when I come to you. This is kind of a summary of the message and the content of the gospel. And he introduces this letter in verse 1 by saying, Paul, a servant of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Then down to verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Then he begins verse 17 by saying this, for in the gospel. Now, if we were to take this as an exercise this morning and uh, I put this question out to the broader group and said, Finish this statement for in the gospel dot, 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 dot. We would get a variety of answers. Some people would say, well, in the gospel, we find a means of forgiveness because there's no question one of the greatest human needs is that forgiveness from God. But actually, you'd be wrong. Somebody else might say, for in the gospel we find means of receiving eternal life. It's a good answer, but you'd be wrong. Somebody else might say, well, in the gospel, we receive power to live. Now, all of those are good answers, but as a summary of the gospel, not one of them is correct. All of those are true elements of the gospel, but the Apostle Paul, writing to a church that he'd never been to, to a people he'd never knew, said, when I come to you, my message is the gospel message. And uh, this is the big picture that Paul wants to give to us because when he summarizes the gospel, this is what he says. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And the gospel, according to Paul, is that the righteousness of God, 
can be received on the basis of faith. It can be experienced on the basis of faith. So salvation, according to the book of Romans, is not a salvation from guilt to innocence. It's not a salvation from hell to heaven. It's not a salvation from death to life. Paul, as he writes to this church in Rome, is saying the message of the gospel is a salvation from unrighteousness to righteousness. Now, there's no question forgiveness is a part of that. It's absolutely essential. Eternal life is the goal of all of that, so that's absolutely essential. But the actual substance of the gospel is that the righteousness of God is restored to us, whatever that means. And that's what I want to dig into this morning. Now, there's no question, again, all of those other aspects are important. But as it is with many things, you cannot confuse secondary aspects with the main purpose. Because if we make secondary aspects of the gospel our main message, the message is going to be incomplete and confused. And more than that, we actually won't fully know what our purpose is. So, for example, if we think that the main message of the gospel is forgiveness, then that's fine. But once we've received forgiveness... What happens then? Do we just wait round until uh, that day where we go to be with him? Or if we make the main message of the gospel eternal life, it's just that eternal security. I've got my ticket stuck in my back pocket. If I walk out of here and get hit by a bus, I'll know where I'm going when I die. If that's the main message of the gospel, then it doesn't give us any sense of purpose right now. If that's the main part of the gospel, what are we doing here? So friends, the whole point of the gospel is that when we say yes to Jesus, we are being restored in right relationship with God and then God restores to us his righteousness. So I want to look at two things as we come to understand this this morning. Firstly, Paul says in verse 17, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. Now this picks up a little bit from what we talked about last week. The righteousness of God are basically the moral attributes of his character. So when we talk about the righteousness of God, God we know is uh, loving. Uh, God we know is kind. He is just. Uh, He is a merciful God, but tied up within his righteousness, you also find uh, wrath and judgment. Uh, But then that's hand in hand with things like peace. And all of those moral attributes of God, Paul summarizes in the word righteous. He is a righteous God. And the Bible over and over talks about God being a righteous God. But here's the thing. The righteousness of God, these moral attributes of God, aren't just things that give us an understanding of God so that we can, we can celebrate them, we can stand in awe of them, we stand back and we worship God because He is a righteous God. The amazing thing is that the righteousness of God, that same righteousness, was meant to be evident and displayed in our lives. It was intended for us to share in that. Because back in the beginning, 
God said in Genesis 1 and 26, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Not talking about physical likeness. Let us make a man and a woman who in their moral character express what God is like. Express our image, our moral image, our moral uh, likeness. God was intended, uh, God, is, God is love, we are intended to be loving. God is kind, we are intended to be kind. God is just, we are intended to be just. God is merciful, we are intended to be merciful. God is righteous, and that's the word again that Paul uses to sum up all of these moral qualities. God's intention for you and for me is that in our moral character, in our behaviour, the righteousness of God's character would be seen in us. But there's a major problem. And as you look around at our world, we very, very quickly realise that human beings do not demonstrate the righteousness of God. We no longer show what God is like. And friends, that is the nature of sin. Because having been created in the image of God... We were created quite simply to demonstrate the truth of who God is through the way that we live and the way that we behave. And sin in humanity is when we fail to demonstrate the truth about God. Sin, simply put, is telling lies about God in the way that we behave. And if righteousness in the way we behave represents truth about God, then unrighteousness in human behavior is representing untruths about God. I hope that makes sense. I, I used this analogy during the year, last year when we were just doing online. <clears throat> but if anybody uh, came to you and uh, asked the question and said, Hey, can you show me what God is like? There is not one single person, certainly I trust not one in this room, that would say, that's really easy. If you want to know what God is like, just follow me around for a week. And you will see in the way that I behave, in the way that I act, in the way that I speak to people, in the way that I treat people, in the way that I treat my wife, in the way that I speak to my kids. If, if you had insight into my thought life, if you just had insight into my heart and my core motivation, I guarantee at the end of a week of following me around closely, you will know exactly what God is like. Now, not one of us would dare to do that. So what are we saying? We are saying, I am a sinner. I am sinful. If you want to know the truth about God, please don't look at me. So why did God then send a saviour? What is the job description for that saviour? What is the essence of the gospel? Well, Paul says the essence of the gospel is about God's righteousness being restored into human experience. Again, verse 17, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed... A righteousness that is by faith. So where is it being revealed? How can I know what God is like? It is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, as we've been talking about for a number of weeks, He is the one that all of Scripture points to. Here is Jesus, both human and fully divine. And this man, both fully human and fully God, came not just to do the work of saving us and reconciling us to God, but he came to be the source of God's righteousness restored to human beings. And that's why the goal of the gospel is that you and I are transformed day by day more and more into the image of God. And friends, that does not happen by us simply trying to imitate Jesus. It comes by the presence of His Holy Spirit living in us and expressing the life and the character and the moral attributes of Jesus through us. I hope that makes sense. Which leads me to the second point. The first point is that this righteousness is revealed. Where is it revealed? It's revealed in the person of Jesus. The second point then is this. Not only is it revealed so that we stand back in awe and worship, but it is also to be received. Verse 17, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This means it is obtainable. God's righteousness is to be received and then it is to be lived out in human experience. And it is a supernatural work. Friends, it takes Jesus to make the Christian life work. It takes God himself to make men and women godly. And it's really important to understand that there are actually two aspects to this righteousness being received. And I want to excite you, not bore you, when I tell you that theologians talk about this in two parts. They talk about imputed righteousness and they talk about imparted righteousness. Stay with me, don't glaze over. The cool thing about imputed righteousness is this, that when you reach out to Jesus and He comes to occupy your life. When you say, yes, Jesus, I need you. When you call upon Him, when you repent of your sin and turn in faith to Jesus and receive Him as your Lord and Saviour, here's the really cool thing. You are declared righteous at that point, whether your behaviour reflects it or not. You don't deserve it. This is imputed righteousness. And this is really cool. This is actually what the first four chapters of Roman talks about. The fact that we receive this not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of Jesus' righteousness, that when we say yes to Him, the beautiful picture the Bible gives us is that when I receive Christ by faith into my life, I become clothed in His righteousness in spite of my behaviour. I become clothed in the perfection of Jesus, which means when God looks at me, He doesn't see my sin nature. He doesn't see my past. He doesn't see my stuff-ups. He doesn't see my mistakes. He doesn't see my history. 
He looks at us and he sees the very perfection of Jesus because his righteousness has been imputed to me and I'm clothed in that and declared righteous. We don't stand before God righteous on the basis of anything we've done. We stand before God righteous on the basis of what Jesus has done. And wonderfully, I am clothed in that righteousness. Can I hear an amen this morning? How good is that? But the second aspect of righteousness is not that it's just our position before God where we are declared righteousness, righteous on the basis of what Jesus has done, but actually that it becomes our practice. This is imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness means we've got it in spite of us because of Jesus but then an imparted righteousness that means that through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we begin then to behave in a way that expresses the righteousness of God. And that's what the theologians call imparted righteousness. And interestingly, if you make the division, that's what Romans 5 to 8 is all about. Okay? One to four, it's all about receiving it on the basis of faith because of Jesus. It's imputed. And then Paul goes on to say, now now that you've received it, this is what it looks like played out in everyday life. And that's what we'll be going in the future. It's about this practical day-to-day living out of the righteousness of God in us. And Paul says, guys, it is fully available to those who believe. And friends, we will never, ever be the church If we treat our faith like some kind of hobby or we treat church like some kind of special interest club. When Paul says in verse 17 again, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It is not a passive thing. It's not something that I merely agree with because I was brought up in a Christian home and I went to Sunday school and so it's just kind of a natural flow on that I go to church. It's more than just believing something. It's not just saying, well, I like church because they're nice people. A lot of my friends go there and it's kind of a nice social gathering and there's just a whole bunch of stuff about it I like. No, it is an active experience of the presence and the working of God by His Holy Spirit in and through us to be a living, active body, a living, active expression of Jesus Himself. The work of Jesus continues in the world today and it continues through His body and that is us. Romans 5.5, God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. So it's experiential. It's more than just a head knowledge of something. The love of God actively poured into our hearts. Romans 8 and 16, the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So it is so much more than just believing something, than ticking doctrinal checkboxes. It is now a daily living awareness of his presence within us 
an awareness of the fact that something very real is going on in my life. It is the Spirit of God doing something in me and through me. It is His presence within me. It is His love within me. And as I am reconciled to God, I am number one clothed in His righteousness. That is, I am in right standing before God because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. His imputed righteousness, which praise God, no matter what happens, I stand before God declared righteous because of Jesus. But then that same righteousness is then imparted to us so that we are then being restored to the image of God so that God's character, His moral character and attributes once more begin to be seen in us every day in the way that we live. Can I hear an amen? So back to the text. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is about Men and women, boys and girls, experiencing the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It is about a righteousness, the righteousness from God being revealed. It's revealed in the person of Jesus, so we know what it looks like. But then it's a righteousness that by faith is to then be experienced and outworked. So the righteous are to live by faith. I'm going to invite the team to come back as we close. So here's the big question. This morning, can you say, yes, I know the presence of God and the power of God working in my life. Do you know that you are in right standing with God? Not just because you prayed a a prayer one day when you were a kid in Sunday school. That's important. But from that point that something transformational has begun within you. And you know that God is pouring out His love into your heart and that the Holy Spirit Himself is bearing witness with your spirit that you are children of God. And you know, just because you know, just because you know, that this is God's restoring, His restorative work, restoring His presence, restoring His character in us. And it's an ongoing work. It's a daily refining. It's a daily growing. And if you don't know that this morning, then maybe it's time to get alone with God. And if you're not in a right relationship, first of all, just say, God, I need you in my life. I need to discover that kind of purpose that comes as I live in right relationship with you. Understanding that I am a new creation in God, understanding that none of that mess of my past, none of that sin nature matters. It does not stand in the way between me and God because Jesus has made a way. Maybe this morning there's somebody here and you need to have the confidence that I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and you receive that by faith as you reach out to Him in faith this morning. And you say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Saviour. Begin to transform me from the inside out. I receive your righteousness. Now I'm asking you to begin to work that righteousness out in my life. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed, please, this morning as we pray. And I, I want to pray first of all for those of us who maybe aren't sure. Am I in right standing with God? Have I actually said yes to Jesus? Well, this morning, I just really encourage you, just reach out to Him in faith. And say, God, I've I got to do business with you. i just got to give you a chance in my life. And maybe this morning you've been given a beautiful picture of what that being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus is all about. Maybe you've, maybe you've discounted the possibility of a relationship with God because you're well aware of your sin. You're well aware of all that stuff that you know just couldn't be in any way acceptable to a holy God. And you're right. And it's true for every single one of us. But here's the wonderful thing about that imputed righteousness. It's not deserved. It is just the love of God towards you. The love of God that allowed His Son without blemish, without sin, to go as the only acceptable sacrifice for your sins so that you can stand in confidence, having received Jesus into your heart, that you are clothed in His righteousness. There's something so wonderfully reassuring about that. So while every head is bowed and while every eye is closed, and I'm the only one looking around right now, if you need to make a decision for Jesus this morning, would you just raise your hand? I'll acknowledge that and you can put it straight back down again and then I'll pray for you. Just giving you an opportunity to say, God, today I'm just stepping across that line. You've spoken to my heart and I need to respond right now. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Anybody here? Well, Father, if you're speaking to one this morning, make this so real. May they sense your presence and know this is the moment. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Saviour. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. I receive you in faith. I confess my need for you. I call upon your name and I want to turn from my sin, turn from my rebellion, turn from my past and I turn to you to receive newness of life. May this be a defining moment for me as I pursue you from this moment on. Thank you for your gift of eternal life and I receive that with thanksgiving. But for each one of us, God, I pray that from that point, having received that undeserved favour and blessing of God to be declared righteous, I pray now by your Holy Spirit that you would impart that righteousness to us. That more and more, Father God, as we realise we are on this planet on mission for God to be the body of Christ. Father, that you give us everything we need to accomplish that task. And I pray, God, that we would live lives in this day, in this age, in this moment, in this place as Spirit-filled believers. We're not here by accident. We're here for divine purpose. And we've got a whole world out there that is desperately lost without the hope that we know to be true. And Father, we can sit in our prayer closets all we like and pray that you would bring revival. But God, your answer is always, yeah, I'm going to do it. And guess who I'm going to do it through? Father, we need to be on mission. We need to be a kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused uh, people who live with that bigger worldview, a kingdom worldview. 
that translates into our day-to-day activities, recognising wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, God has placed me here to be the aroma of Jesus to those around me who are perishing. That's the reality. We can engage in that, choose to deliberately engage in that, live with that expectation that God is living out His righteousness through me. Or we can disengage from that. Father, I pray that through this series, you would bind us together, strengthen us, draw us together for that common purpose to be Jesus, to be the body of Christ, to be the presence of God. And I thank you, God, that you take all the hard work out of it because it's not about us trying and striving. It's about your Holy Spirit doing His work as we allow Him to do that work. That's our part. We've just got to be open to that that moving of your Spirit and the moulding of your Spirit. Make this real for us, Lord God, and may this message, may this challenge, may this conviction of your Spirit go before us into this week, Lord. Shape us, mould us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.